0: As Dave pointed out, we're using uh, a book of, uh, uh, for the Cottage Bible Studies. Uh, it is uh, by Dane Ortland, and it's gentle and lowly. And so, our worship services, our sermons, are choosing passages, primarily the the focal passage of each of those Bible studies. Uh, this Bible study, this the chapter two. I recognize that with all sorts of things going on in terms of COVID, in terms of of, uh, snow and ice and everything, our different groups may be on different schedules. Uh, But uh, this is from chapter 2 where the the author of the book refers to Matthew 14. Uh, And uh, I am using a parallel passage, which is Mark chapter 6 for the message this morning. The main reason is uh, the the illustration, the parallel uh, that is given by Mark, that's recorded by Mark, um, where he says he felt compassion because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. That's not recorded in Matthew, but it is recorded in Mark. So that's where we are, the feeding of the 5,000. Let me point out that Jesus also fed the 4,000 uh, since Christ. Scripture tells us that if we recorded all his parables, miracles, especially his miracles, uh, we would just have, the the books we would have would just overflow the world. And so um, how many times did he feed the 5,000 or the 4,000 or the 3,000 or the 2,000, 10,000? I don't know, but we know he did those two times, the 5,000 and the 4,000, Because at some point later he asks, do you not understand that when, you know, when you picked up so many fragments after I fed the 5,000 and then after the 4,000. He talks about both of them in the same, in the same spot. But so we're just concentrating on one of these miracles, uh, the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 30. I'm backing up a little bit uh, to, to get an uh, sort of a running start with regard to the apostles themselves uh, as, as they see and evaluate uh, and incorporate eventually the meaning of this parable in their lives and in their teaching. Let word. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. to a secluded place by themselves the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there When it was already quite late, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were about 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless us with your presence. We pray that as we read this this. This miracle, many of us may well have read it and heard about it and heard it read many times. We pray that you would work in our hearts. You have, you have kept these, these words pure and entire through the ages. To, we would be able to hear these words in our own heart language, that we would be able to have them applied by the Spirit to our hearts and to our lives. Care for us and use us. Use these words from our great shepherd to shepherd us sheep. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Send them away. Send them away. The focus of our Bible study is on the word compassion. That... That word compassion, according to a two thousand and two Webster New World College Dictionary, says sorrow for the sufferings or trouble of another or others accompanied by an urge to help. Also means deep sympathy or pity. Compassion. The passion part means means suffering, and you, you may know of the, the word, the, the passion of Christ, means the suffering of Christ. And when he obeyed actively and passively, if you hear a preacher say that, if you uh, hear a, a, a Bible teacher say that, say Jesus obeyed actively and his active obedience and his passive obedience. The active obedience means that he he told the truth, he obeyed his parents, uh, he obeyed his heavenly father, he he obeyed in our normal way of thinking his active obedience. Passive obedience doesn't mean he just sat there and obeyed, it means he suffered. So when you say compassion, it's like the passion of Christ, it's, it's contact, it's our having contact with suffering. In this passage, specifically and directly, it's Christ, the shepherd, having contact with somebody else suffering. He would suffer himself later on our behalf, but in this case, it's his suffering. So passion means suffering. And then the calm means together with. So it's Jesus seeing somebody else's suffering as, as sheep without a shepherd, and then he suffers with them. It, it, the dictionary gets it really pretty well. Sovereign, so, sorrow for the sufferings or trouble of another or others, accompanying by an urge to help, or deep sympathy and pity. Compassion. You may know where we go next with this word. Uh, the Greek aspect is even more striking than the compassion, the together with suffering. Mark 6, 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them. Splanknizomai is the, is the Greek verb, and splankna, means entrails or bowels. And so whereas the English word is great, I think the English word is wonderful, compassion, to say you, you, you see somebody suffering and, and immediately you begin suffering with them to the point that you have an urge to help. That's a great word in English. But what it is in Greek is a matter of his insides just churned, splanchnos. We actually have an English word that is, is built on that. It's used for speaking of one's inmost self or feelings, one's heart. Chapter 1 of our Cottage Bible study book dealt with his, the, the Savior's heart being, being lowly, being humble, being gentle. And this, this is an opportunity for us to see his heart in action. Splankna. It, in, in the Greek New Testament, it deals with one's inmost self, one's heart, one's affections, or love. It talks about the Lord's tender mercies. For instance, when Zacharias is prophesying, when, he, when he's finally able to speak, and, and he, he spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit about his son, John the Baptist, John who John would become John the Baptist, uh, and he is... Prophesying to him, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, just as Isaiah had said, to give to his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of the Lord. So it can be used that way, this churning up of the insides. The splankna with, within. The tender mercies of the Lord sending John the Baptist to be the messenger, ahead of the messenger of the covenant, as Malachi had prophesied. Uh, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Or it could be much more literal same word uh, with regard uh, to Judas when, when he died. Uh, when they're talking about replacing him in Acts chapter 1. It says, For he was counted among us uh, and received his share in this ministry. And then it says in parenthesis, we put it in parenthesis in English, Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, speaking of Judas, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his splintenah spilled out. So, Maybe that's the first time you've heard that, or, or maybe you've you've had it in Bible studies lots of times. It's pretty striking to me. And when Jesus comes up and he looks at sheep who need shepherding, something is going on in his insides, so that he, you can say it's his heart, you can say it's he was moved internally. How does the heavenly shepherd show compassion upon shepherdless sheep? He was moved internally, and he moved toward the people in need. From the English scriptures, the translated versions, we get the term that he was moved. He was moved internally. In English, we say that someone is moved with anger, or moved with compassion. Both of those are in the scriptures uh, in English. And then from the, the from the Cottage Bible Study book, we get a term that is has become really very popular among um, Bible believers, among evangelicals, among particularly those people who are who are considering how we live with one another uh, as sheep, living with sheep, and all of us being quite needy. It's, uh, it, it, I think it came primarily from Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation uh, tied to Westminster Seminary where, where we went, went in Philadelphia. Um, it's, it's, it's a word, move toward. And that's what Jesus is doing and that's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. He was moved with compassion inside and then he moves toward the people. Sort of what same thing that that the websters says he he had a desire to help, and he wanted the disciples to have a desire to help, and they did have a desire to help um, in Matthew eighteen we read um, about the 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 unforgiving servant who had been forgiven much, lots of money that he owed, and then he was he was wanting to take it all out on his on a, a, a servant. A fellow servant who owed him just a little bit. And it says his Lord, when he found out about this, moved with anger. When he was moved with anger, he handed him over to the torturers until he could repay all that was owed him. And then in Matthew when, Matthew 20, when Jesus hears two blind men sitting by the road outside Jericho crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, we read, we read Moved with compassion. Uh, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him in our Bible study book, we had the first chapter about the heart of Jesus being gentle and lowly it did not say that he 's not going to be the judge did not It did not say that he does not have wrath, but it does say we need to we don 't need to think about him. As those who come to him for salvation, we don't need to think about him as, as a judge just ready to come down with the hammer on our heads uh, and uh, or to be looking for where we're, where we're sinning and to, to, to have a lot of displeasure toward us, but that, that he loves us, that he says the only time he describes his heart in Scripture is at the end of Matthew, 8, uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, uh, when, he, when he says that he's gentle and lowly in heart and we can find rest for our souls. So we, we find that he treats us that way. And of course, we need to follow him in that humility. In chapter 2 of the book, we are looking at his action. That he was moved internally and then he moved toward those sheep he moved toward the, toward those sheep that were called disciples and and he worked in them as well and and helped them solve the problem well how how hungry shepherdless sheep what was the disciples suggested solution let's go back over that again verses 34 through 36 When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. So they analyzed the situation very well. Place and time produced a problem considering that they had been in this place and had had come from distances and it was already quite late. So what was their solution? Their solution was send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Hungry shepherdless sheep. So according to the next verse, what was the shepherd's solution? And those of you who are, who are sketching in that uh that that picture of the shepherd with the sheep you can you can think about that shepherd with the literal sheep literal shepherd with the literal sheep you can think about Jesus seeing us in our needs when we may be in a desolate place and when it seems like it's getting quite late asking for him to answer our prayers mark six thirty seven says you give, them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Why, why did Jesus tell them that? Did he not know they did not have enough food to feed 5,000 men plus women and children? Mark six forty four says there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Matthew 14, 21 says there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. You figure up the numbers, but it's above 5,000. The disciples had just returned from their first solo mission. And you can go back a little bit farther from the scripture and, and see what, what was going on there. Mark 7 through 13. They had been sent out for the first time without the presence of their rabbi without the presence of Christ they were sent out two by two not into the ark but as it were out of the greater ark out of the nave of the church into the world without the physical presence of the savior or the shepherd in mark 6:30 30 through 32 where we began the apostles gathered together with Jesus they They reported all that they had done and taught, and he says, "Let's come away. You need rest." And and one of the one of the old writers, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, said, uh, for a long time in his ministry, he said he always taught. Well, they didn't get any rest, did they? (laughs) Secluded place. It wasn't very secluded by the time they got there. Then he said, "Well, uh, they did. Uh, They 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 got to rest in the boat with the Savior." They got to give their testimonies, their testimonial report of what he had done through them. And once they got to the the preaching point on the other side, supposedly it's about four miles across to this place, and from where they left to where they they landed, it was supposedly about ten miles (laughs) around that you would have to run if you were going to try to get there from that point, but they came from other cities as well. But when they, got, when they got there, they still could rest because Jesus was the one who took over. Until this point, at the end of a long day, when, when they could rest with the rest and just listen to the teaching, then they realized, we have a problem here. So they were taking on the diaconal responsibilities and saying, we've, we've, got, a, we've got a problem. The Lord... Began to work with them. They had healed people. They had driven out demons just recently. They had been used to heal people. Did they learn deep down inside. That they themselves. Were not the ones. Who were adequate to heal. Or adequate to drive out demons. If they had any doubts. About their own personal abilities to do such things, they were about to find out the truth. Mark six thirty-seven. You give them something to eat. They understood the facts. They estimated correctly about eight months' worth of wages would be needed to buy the food for this whole crowd. Then there would be going to the places to find the food where those places... Those places didn't bake ahead of time. They baked every morning. And this was, getting, this was evening. Where were they going to get that? And then they had to transport the food back. I mean, can you think about a, a wedding reception where there are 6,000, 8,000 people there, and, you got to, and you're responsible for getting the food back to them, even if it was just bread and fish? What does Jesus ask? He says, how many loaves do you have? Go, look, he says in Mark. And when they found out, they said, verse 38, five and two fish. Two fish. What do you have? What do you have? Like Moses. What did Moses have to split the Red Sea? Exodus 4, 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Did Moses have the ability to turn his staff into a serpent? Did Moses have the ability to strike a rock that water might flow from it? Could he raise his shepherd's staff over the Red Sea that it would part and then again that it would flow back to its normal location? What is that in your hand? When God asks you that, he is, is he wanting to focus on your ability? No. He teaches... The disciples in this passage. And he teaches us to recognize our inability. When he says, go look, how many do you have to accomplish this situation, to take care of this problem? He wants us to have hearts of compassion. And then he wants us to act upon what we see and hear among the shepherdless sheep. He provides. We, by his merciful plan, distribute. Herb Tyler, Herb, Herbert B. Tyler was my band director. And he told us to erase the word can't from our vocabulary. And he came down hard on us. Anytime we said, I, I can't, you couldn't get it out of your mouth. He'd be on you. Uh, he introduced uh, Uh, invited us in the sixth grade to join junior high band. And for the next six years, two years in junior high and four years in senior high, I realize now that I was in class more with Mr. Tyler than with anybody else uh, in those six years. Mr. Tyler um, wanted to, to, to let us know that we were able... But I also learned from Mr. Tyler when he lost hearing in one ear and was no longer able to tell where the sounds were coming from from the man, from the band concert band or the marching band out in front of him that he had to leave and he became superintendent of the school system down in Spring Valley. He could not do it, but when, but what he emphasized for, and I, I got to go to see him about a year before he died, and thank him for all the benefits that came into my life from him. Living out a Christian life, um, strong Southern Baptist, uh, educated in, in music at Furman, wonderful musician. But he loved Jesus first, but he wanted to tell us we could do it. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's bringing his disciples into a situation to say, what's that in your hand? You can't do it. But I am telling you to do it. You are unable. But I am all powerful. I provide you receive and distribute. Are there any shepherdless sheep left? What is your solution? Send them away? They don't know how to find eternal life. They don't know what the godly life is. They don't know what the Bible says. They don't believe in truth, not absolute truth, not unchanging truth, not truth except something that can be true for me, but this is not true for you and it's not true for them. It's no truth like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But you know him. You've received that. You've got that deep in your heart. People think they they can create create their own world. They think they can design the God they want not only to serve. They don't really want to serve a God. They want to design the God they want to be. They're, They're designing their own avatar. Their terminology comes from Hinduism. It comes from world religions. Do, do they even know what an avatar is? That, that it's a matter of, of Vishnu coming down and appearing in one form or another form? But it's part of our culture. They don't know the culture of the Bible that you know. They are, they are clueless. Talk about sheep without a shepherd. They don't even know there is a shepherd. They don't know they're sheep. They don't know they're needy. It is an impossible situation for you to give them the gospel and save them. Will you say, send them away? Jesus says, verse 37, you give them. You give them something to eat. Notice the plan of distribution. Notice... The supply chain of the gospel. Do we have supply chain problems in the church of Jesus Christ? If there are are problems in the supply chain, it's not at the source. The Messiah is the source. Is he confused? Is he poor at communication? The one who is the word of God? Is he wrong? Are the shepherd, the sheep, the problem? Well, they have a problem, and they may want to cause problems with the, with the supply chain and say, you can't say that here. The Holy Spirit specializes in tearing down those defenses. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Could the problem in the the gospel supply chain be that some very capable truck drivers don't want to drive the gospel supply truck? Some very capable speakers who, who, who can speak to all sorts of situations don't particularly want to speak about the gospel. That some who could minister to the sick, and could visit those in jail and in prison, and those being destroyed by addictions just can't be bothered because the compassion of Christ isn't working in us. Jesus tells us all we need to know about our part in the gospel supply chain. You give them, verse 37. You give them something to eat. You give them. You give you and me you get it from the shepherd you give it to the sheep you distribute spurgeon says as he he preached on this passage a number of times this this miracle a number of times he says in our hearts is a strong tendency to shift personal responsibility in your heart should be woe to me if i preach not the gospel Spurgeon says, I will tell you, the people of my charge, he's saying to, to the people there at, at where he is preaching in his church, people of my charge, that the world's salvation is given, the world's salvation, like the feeding of the 5,000 plus, the world's salvation is given instrumentally, a very good word, instrumentally into your hands. The salvation of the world is given into your hands. Not that you die for anybody. Not that you can possibly pay for anybody's sins. But instrumentally, that means supply chain. That means get it and give it. It means receive it and pass it out. And when you pass it out, how much do you have left? Do you ever run out? No, you never run out. It's a fountain filled with blood. It goes and it goes and it goes and it goes through you, you give them something. So bring your excuses, bring that for which you ask for an excuse. I only have this staff, five little loaves of bread, maybe made out of barley, two little fish, maybe. I mean, some people say like sardines, maybe. Bring them to the Savior, and see see what happens. Bring your excuses. And he'll say, yes, you're right. <laughs> you, you, can't, you are unable. Now go do it. That's what he says. When you distribute, you'll have more left over than you gave away. More than you can imagine. And the sheep will be satisfied. And new life will have begun. Living, really living, will have begun. New life That you got to plant, it's not your seed, it's not your ability, it's not your power. But Jesus says, go do it. And the Spirit is right there ahead of you and behind you and with you and in you. And it happens. And I believe that any time you go talk to any individual and you share the gospel in the weakest way you have, just as weak as you are. I mean, I mean, h- how powerful are sheep? And in spite of all the mistakes you make, and in spite of all your selfishness and your fears and everything that's going on inside you, when you see that life take place, when you see that sprout up, when you see the new life, you will understand that this is as great a miracle as feeding 5,000 physically hungry people and as you go some people would preach this whole passage with regard to feeding people physically don't neglect that part don't neglect the part about salvation but don't neglect when you're ministering that there can be all sorts of hunger in this action, as we are moved internally and we move toward people with problems, it's all together, spiritual and physical ministry and service and love. And since this is Human Life, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I'll share a a new insight for me from Matthew 25. I know about the sheep and the goats. I know about being thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. So, so when a believer gets the glory, and, 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 the, and the Lord speaks to him and says, You fed me when I was hungry. You came to see me when I was in prison. You say, I, I, I didn't go see you in prison i, I didn 't feed you, you were in heaven, you were sitting on the throne of glory. How could I do? no when you fed one of the least of these, you fed me. you took care of me. all sorts of ways to take care of one another. the least of these matthew twenty five forty the least of them the least of these matthew twenty five forty five So who are the least of these on this human life Sunday? This is the first time I've thought about this, just this week. Who are those who may never have the possibility of ever being able to sit at a table and actually eat a loaf of bread or part of a loaf of bread? Who might not ever have the opportunity to get sick and be healed? Who may not even be able to see the light of day? Is Christ not saying when when you came and were moved with compassion and you went to help somebody in trouble and you acted upon it and moved toward them and when you when you encourage them to go to some place like Palmetto Women's Center, and they made the right decision, you did it to me. We have a lot of work to do in this nation, in this county, in our own lives, and we can't do it. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. The only way to do it is to go to him, receive, and then distribute by his power in our lack of ability.